Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, and I am here for the Thursday edition of Week 4 of the NFL season, Week 5 of the college football season. You know how that weird shit works where there's Week 0 in college football, which always messes up my brain and I always get confused. But today's episode will be college football-centric. Looking ahead at the games on Saturday, the slate is absolutely beautiful. There are several games of interest between ranked teams, teams that will have games that will have significant impact on the college football playoff, which is particularly exciting if you're someone like me who just is a raving lunatic when it comes to college football. And the sport isn't disappointing this year. So far, we've had quite a few surprising results. We've had a few teams put themselves into the playoff discussion we weren't expecting. We've had some teams we were expecting to be in the playoff already fall out of the mix this early before the end of October. And the season might not be 2007 level chaotic where the number two team lost seven or eight times in that season, something in that ballpark, but we're having chaos. And this is going to be a particularly fun episode. Going to talk about the three big games and then a couple of the other smaller ones that I'm interested in. But before I get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. So, number one, subscribe to the show, whatever podcasting platform you use, with Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, all the major podcasting platforms this podcast is available there for your listening pleasure. Number two, signal boost the show whenever you see it on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. Going to start putting stuff out there. Get it easier for you guys to find. That stuff is good. I got to do more stuff on that end. Lastly, if... You are an Apple Podcast user because Apple controls the universe and the iPhone is the most ubiquitous device on the planet. Please, please, please go to the show's page, scroll down to the bottom past our recent episodes. There are four clear purple stars. You're going to want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please, please, please take a few minutes. Leave a written review. That stuff helps me out immensely. The more reviews we get, the easier it is for me to show the podcast to potential advertisers and employers about giving me some money for working my ass off on this. That would be greatly appreciated. Lastly, plugging written work. I should have a Rangers blog going up Thursday on Gotham SN about why Gerard Gallant is the most important piece for the Rangers to be successful this year because the roster moves they made were small. It's incumbent upon the talent that was already in place to play better, which means Gallant is going to have to push the right buttons to get better results out of them. So, with all that said, enjoy the audio drops, and I will see you in a minute. Seven yards, Corral, down the field! It's the tight end, Yaboa, off to the races again! Touchdown, Ole Miss! 68 yards! With that, we will get on into it. As I am recording, I am watching the Yankees and Blue Jays and the Red Sox and Orioles games. Those two team, those three teams are all separated by less than two games in the American League wildcard race. So if I do randomly give commentary on the game, 
It's not live. It's on delay. Don't worry, because you're listening to this tomorrow after it already happened, but that may happen from time to time. So we got three big games coming up on Saturday in the college football landscape. There's not a bad Friday night game, to be honest with you, in the Big Ten. So we'll start with the Friday game between Iowa going to Maryland on the Big Ten Network on Friday. The Big Ten Network has tried to get teams to play in this Friday game, and for the most part, it is the Marylands, the Nebraskas, the Northwesterns, the Illinois, the Minnesotas, the smaller schools that, because they don't want to inconvenience the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States of the world by playing on an inconvenient time where people won't be able to go to the game or be able to watch on TV. So Maryland has found itself a home on Friday Night Football on the Big Ten Network. And to his little brother, Talia, has played pretty well for Maryland. They are undefeated still. Granted, they haven't played anyone particularly difficult, but they can score some points. They can move the ball. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes up against Iowa, which, as usual, is a staunchly talented defensive team that's going to control the line of scrimmage and is a very much work-in-progress offense. They are somewhere in the 100s in terms of offensive yards per game, which for a team that is highly ranked as Iowa is kind of surprising. Iowa's sitting there at 5 or 6 and very easily has a path to the Big Ten title game because Wisconsin already has multiple losses and could easily, easily find itself playing Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State in Indianapolis come December. But... I want to see Iowa get their offense going in the right direction because if they don't have an offense against a team like Maryland who has a respectable defense for the type of talent Maryland is going to accumulate, but they're not going to hold up against the Big Ten East champion if they can't move the ball. And you know what to expect from Iowa. You saw it with Nate Stanley there when Kirk Fer- as long as Kirk Ferentz has been there they are a run first team and their offensive line has not been good this year they are not getting a lot of push they are not getting a lot of yards before contact I think they are averaging 0.4 yards before contact per rush attempt this year and Iowa's played some decent competition I mean Iowa State game against was supposed to be a pretty big game but Iowa State not the team they were last year which is a little bit disappointing as an Iowa State guy but I digress I digress talking about Iowa you got to see them get that offense going Spencer Petrus the quarterback they've taken a couple deep shots down the field but Iowa's bread and butter always has been it always will be the tight ends if there's a good tight end in the NFL they probably went to Iowa with a couple of exceptions but for the most part you're going to see Iowa trying to control the middle of the field moving the ball they're going to attempt to get their running game going because this is one of those games where it's important for them to get it right because Maryland is a team that's going to have slightly smaller guys Iowa's going to be able to control the line of scrimmage and if they can get that running game going just a little bit that will help the play action out immensely but if they're going to sit back and drop coverage and make Petrus try and dot up coverage this game could be a slobber knocker under the lights on Friday I will be watching this very intent with a purpose trying to see if Kirk Ferentz has got that offense playing the right way or if they are just going to be the latest in a long line of Big Ten West teams to go to the Big Ten title game without the ability to score points granted The Big Ten West, you don't need to score points to win. Look at Wisconsin, look at Iowa, look at Northwestern, some of the schools that have won it the last few years. You score 20 points a game in the Big Ten West, you're pretty good offense. And Iowa's defense has come up timely. Iowa almost lost to Colorado State, and they had to force some turnovers there at the end of the game. And Iowa was kind of sweating it out for a little bit. And for a minute there, I really did think that was going to help the Big Ten East out immensely and secure the possibility of even if... A Penn State loses to Iowa, 
Iowa still would be lower in the AP, that kind of thing. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. The biggest game on Saturday, the one I am looking forward to the most, the one I've been looking forward to since last college football season ended, hell, since the game ended last year, of course, Ole Miss, Alabama. Last year in Ole Miss, Ole Miss gave Alabama the best game of anybody aside from Florida that Alabama played last year. Last year's Alabama team, of course, the high-powered offense with Mac Jones, the several NFL prospect offensive linemen, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, who's now the lead running back there. Ole Miss can score some points. Ole Miss has got the most yards per game of any offense in football. They're checking in at a crisp 630 yards per game, which is insane. Granted, that is absolutely insane to be at 630 yards of offense per game. Granted, they have played some kind of crappy competition, so they have been stat padding, a lot of rushing yards in the second half. And Matt Corral, the quarterback for Ole Miss in Lane Kiffin's offense, is the betting favorite for the Heisman, depending where you look. It's either him or Bryce Young. And all you're going to hear between now and Saturday is, can Matt Corral have his Heisman moment? Can they win this game? Ole Miss is a 14.5-point road underdog going to Tuscaloosa. I don't know how much the home field will matter, to be honest. Ole Miss can score points at will. And the chess match I'm going to be curious to see is if Alabama is going to sell to play the pass. And what I mean by that is... Just dropping coverage and inviting Ole Miss to run the ball on principle because you would rather have Ole Miss run the ball than Matt Corral throw it because it's not going to be a big play. If you drop everybody back, you've got equal athletes in terms of speed. You'll be able to play sideline to sideline and invite Ole Miss to run the ball. Granted, Alabama has had a brutal time against the run this year. It's why Florida was able to hang around in that game for so long. Richardson, the backup quarterback, played pretty well in that. Matt Corral is not nearly as fast as the Florida backup quarterback, but Matt Corral is agile enough where his legs can be a problem in the zone read game if Ole Miss decides to load up on the RPOs to kind of try and keep that defense honest. And it's going to kill Nick Saban to concede the run here, but... On principle, that is how you're going to have to play this game defensively if you're Alabama. You do not want Matt Corral taking those shots down the field like he did last year. Remember, at the half, Ole Miss was winning this game at the half last year in Oxford. And I know that sounds crazy to say, considering everybody remembers how dominant the Alabama team was last year. But the key to being competitive in today's college football landscape is scoring points. And Ole Miss can name a score. This game's over-under is 79. That might be the biggest over-under total we get all season. And this game is a heat check game for Lane Kiffin. I expect Ole Miss to have the kitchen sink ready on offense to try and win this game. Double reverses, flea flickers, special teams gimmicks. Ole Miss is going to have some gimmicky shit to try and win this game. For a few reasons. Number one, obviously if Ole Miss wins this game, they're going to be in the college football playoff discussion. And number two, it's Lane Kiffin. Lane is one of the biggest shitheads in all of college football, and I say that lovingly. Lane is the kind of guy who whose entire existence could be manifested by a dude bro playing NCAA football 14. He's just going to chuck the ball 55 times, and he's going to say sarcastic things when you ask him questions. I think Lane is one of the best coaches in college football. He's one of the best play callers in college football. Lane is the reason Ole Miss opened things up on offense. That is part of why 
Alabama's so competitive right now in terms of the national scale because they opened it up. Yeah, Lane's first year there was Derrick Henry's Heisman year, but since then, they've got elite quarterbacks in there, whether it be Tua, Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, now Bryce Young. They opened it up. They've got athletes everywhere. Alabama gets the best athletes, so they're going to be able to get them into space, scheme them open. And one little dynamic I'm very curious to see that plays out is how much Lane's familiarity with Alabama helps him the further and further he gets away from being on the Alabama staff. He's a few years removed now. He did the two years at Florida Atlantic, one year at Ole Miss last year, and this is his fourth year away from the program at Alabama. And the defensive concepts are very simple at Alabama. They're going to sit in that too high country zone look and invite you to run the ball against them. Granted, historically, Saban and Alabama have had the linebackers, the Deontay Hightower types, that have been able to control the run, so even though they're inviting you to run against them, you're not really able to do anything. They don't have those kinds of linebackers anymore. They have Jordan Tuotu, the uh, Tennessee transfer, who leads the team in tackles, but one linebacker does not make a defense. And I'm very curious to see how... Alabama tries to play this because they are going to concede points in this game. There's there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Ole Miss is going to score a lot of points in this game. Alabama, I expect to score a lot of points in this game as well because it's, it's the Alabama offense. Bryce Young, against bad defenses, has been good so far. Granted, the bad defenses they've played are FCS teams so and Miami, so they've been able to run up the score and then not worry about it the second half of games, but... Against Florida, their offense kind of hit a wall, couldn't really get anything going. Ole Miss is the Ole Miss so far this year hasn't really played anyone yet either, but this is your measuring stick game if you're Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is a guy with a bit of an attitude, who's got an ego, who's going to want to stick it to Alabama on the road. And if Ole Miss pulls this off, and I hope Ole Miss pulls this off for the sake of chaos, if Ole Miss pulls this off, this will be one of the great upsets in college football history because this is the Alabama dynasty in Alabama. The Alabama dynasty was born 2010, 9 was Nick Saban's first year there, something like that. This dynasty's been going for a while now, and if Ole Miss can get it right this one time, Ole Miss, the last conference opponent, division opponent of Alabama to beat them two seasons in a row. Granted, that was under Hugh Freeze with Chad Kelly quite a few years ago now. But if you can spread Alabama out, you make them have to push the ball down the field on offense with a receiving group that is not as good as the one last year, with a running back who's not as good in the passing game as Najee Harris was, with a slightly worse offensive line. We're going to have ourselves a football game in Tuscaloosa, Alabama on Saturday. I've been excited for this game for almost a whole year now. Since they finished the game last year and Ole Miss played them better than anyone else in the regular season. Hell, anybody other than Florida last year, Ole Miss played better than them against Alabama because they they went after it. Alabama ended up winning by 15, 16 points and almost sniffing 70. They had to. Because Ole Miss put up 48 points in a game against Alabama. That was quite impressive. I want to see what Ole Miss has. This is going to be a kitchen sink game. And typically when you think of a kitchen sink game, you think of someone like Matt Nagy who's 0-3 and could get fired. This is a kitchen sink game for ego purposes. Lane wants this game. 
Lane wants this game, and Ole Miss can win this game. And then we can have the chaos we want in college football. I've been bitching about parity for a while now, how there's no real way to get it. You want parity? Beat the best team in college football. Ole Miss has the opportunity to do that. Ole Miss is sitting at 10, which is crazy to think about. I mean, before Lane got there, I don't know if I would have ever thought Ole Miss would be this competitive again. That is... That's an area, that's a club, a team, I almost said club, like a soccer team. That is a team that has had stretches. They were pretty good under Hugh Freeze. They were not good under Matt Luke. They struggled. Lane got in there. They had John Reese Plumley and Matt Corral. Matt Corral won the job. They still kept Plumley in that offense as a, get, a gadget speed guy. He had a crazy game against LSU, LSU, the year LSU won the national title in 2019. But Matt Corral is a, is a bona fide bonafide star he will end up being a first round pick in the nfl draft this year more than likely no idea where we got long way to go before we start talking about college football but this is easily the most anticipated game on the college football calendar for me so far penn state iowa next week really might be the next one because if penn state wins that game if penn state goes to iowa and beats iowa Penn State is going to have a really, really good chance at making it to the Big Ten title game and winning the Big Ten, even if they do lose to Ohio State down the road or to Michigan down the road. Either of those is possible, but if Penn State can get through the Iowa game and then handle its business against all the teams it's going to be favored against aside from Ohio State, they'll have a good chance. I just want to see someone new in the college football playoff is basically where I'm at. On my chaos agenda... That'll pick the next game we talk about. And you might think I was going to talk Arkansas-Georgia. Arkansas is a nice story. They're playing very well. But the next game on my chaos hierarchy board is Cincinnati-Notre Dame at Notre Dame for a very simple reason. One of these teams can get to the playoff if it wins this game because this is going to be the most difficult game on the rest of their schedule for both of them, both Notre Dame and Cincinnati. Notre Dame is a one-and-a-half point... Favorite, I believe? Let me look at my notes. Yes, Notre Dame. Excuse me. Notre Dame is a one-and-a-half point underdog. Notre Dame opened as a one-point favorite. A lot of people not really buying Notre Dame's win against Wisconsin with good reason. Wisconsin looks pretty bad this year. Notre Dame hasn't been great, but Notre Dame's handled his business. They did not look great opening night. They let Mackenzie Milton dot them up in the Florida State game week one, and Florida State might be the worst Power 5 team in football right now, and... That's saying a lot, but Florida State is god-awful. Notre Dame wins this game. They will. They more than likely run the table the rest of the way with Jack Cohn at quarterback, and they'll get into the playoff because history shows us if Notre Dame is undefeated at the end of the regular season, they will get into the playoff. It sucks, but that's the way it works. Cincinnati arguably should have made the playoff last year as the fourth team as opposed to Notre Dame, even though... Cincinnati had a loss as well, but this is it for Luke Fickle. This is your big boy game if you are Cincinnati. Win this game, win your conference, and if they still don't take you to the playoff, you can call bullshit the way UCF did in 2016-17 when they declared themselves national champions the same year Alabama won. And granted, this Cincinnati team is better than that UCF team. I'm sorry if you're listening, Jenna, but that's that's just facts. Desmond Ritter is better than what Mackenzie Milton was, and The Cincinnati defense in particular is fearsome, and that'll be the key in this game. 
Notre Dame has run the ball moderately well with Kyron Williams. They've been okay passing the ball. They're one tight end. Uh, Mayer, what's his first name? What's his first name? Why can't I remember his first name? Michael Mayer, yeah, yeah. I had to look at my notes. Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame tight end who played really well in the Wisconsin game. He leads the team in receiving yards. What a surprise. Notre Dame tight end playing well. Wow, what a shock. Jack Cohen has been fine. Doesn't make any explosive plays. He's not the most dynamic passer. He's a fine game manager. He won't kill you. And that's really all Notre Dame needs against most of its opponents because it doesn't play anyone. It's why I never think Notre Dame really should make the playoff to begin with unless they start scheduling some real fucking opponents. Because, great, you went 11-0, Who'd you play? Last year with an ACC schedule, all right, you played UNC, who was pretty good. You played Clemson and beat them, even though Clemson had the backup quarterback. You at least played some real opponents. I mean, Notre Dame's played Purdue, Tulsa. Are we that impressed by Notre Dame winning the games they've won so far? This is your measuring stick game for both of these programs. I think Brian Kelly is extremely overrated because college football media has to fall over Notre Dame. I think... Congrats, you're winning eight, nine games a year for 10 years at a school where you don't play anyone. I'm so impressed. This is so, so difficult. When you get to play Navy, you get to play bad USC. I'm so, so impressed, Notre Dame. That is why I get frustrated with college football media because they they have their favorites, and Brian Kelly is one of them. It's funny, Brian Kelly, the former coach of Cincinnati, he was the coach at Cincinnati before he took the Notre Dame job, made sure he took care of his former program, got them a good game, probably have Notre Dame picking up the tab for the traveling for Cincinnati going to South Bend. This is going to be a big game. Cincinnati needs to come out faster in their first couple games. They've had a hard time getting going on offense. If they come out slow out of the gate and Notre Dame is able to play with the lead and they're able to kind of salt the game away with Kyron Williams, it's going to be harder for Cincinnati to make it up. Desmond Ritter is a third-year starter, I believe, their quarterback. So we'll see. I'm excited to see what this game looks like because these two teams are in the same weight class. They're not in the Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson sphere of the universe, but they've been on the outside looking into the playoff for a few years now. Notre Dame's gotten in a couple times. Cincinnati maybe had an argument to get in. I mean, Cincinnati took Georgia to the wire last year. And to be frank, I think Georgia is the best team in college football this year. And yes, I say that full well knowing Alabama is still undefeated and the reigning national champions. I just think Georgia's a better football team. I think Georgia's defense is incredible, and that'll be the barometer. There are no outstanding defenses in college football, but Georgia very well might have the only one. And that might just be enough. And Georgia finally seems to have an offense. I mean, they could have... They almost covered the over-under in their game against Vanderbilt by themselves last week. They hung a 60 spot on Vandy, and I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm curious. Speaking of Georgia, my preseason choice to be the national champions of college football. thought they this was their year. The, the table was set for Georgia to finally get over the hump because Alabama was not world beaters yet because they graduated so many guys last year. And this isn't a knock on Alabama saying they're not a talented team. You just heard everything I said praising them and why it's going to be such a big upset if Ole Miss can beat them. But Georgia probably is better Uh, in terms of talent because the guys they have on their roster have experience. I mean, they do. But at the same time, they're starting like redshirt sophomores at wide receiver and tight uh, redshirt sophomore tight end. I mean, 
I like Georgia's weapons. Their offense has been really solid so far this year. I mean, the only game they had a hard time was against Clemson. And to be fair, Clemson's offense might stink. But Clemson's defense is pretty damn good. I want to see it. And Arkansas is a nice story. It's good when things like this happen where dormant programs are activated for the first time in a while. I'm always going to be a sucker for the offensive line coach who gets to be a head coach because those offensive line coaches are salt-of-the-earth type guys. They have the best energy. They are amazing recruiters. They give great speeches. And you can tell the guys on the team really, really want to play for that guy, Sam Pittman. And Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman, Georgia assistant, been an offensive line coach. This was not a good job to take. Arkansas hadn't won a conference game in a couple of years before he took that job. They were there with Felipe Franks last year. I, I remember week two or three, I forget the week, te- yeah, week two, when Texas played Arkansas, I said, I expect Texas to handle their business because Arkansas is not that good. Arkansas wasn't that good last year with Felipe Franks, and I doubt their quarterback this year is better than Felipe Franks. I was wrong. uh, To be fair, K.J. Washington has looked very good. I will be totally honest. K.J. Jefferson has looked really good, their quarterback. They have taken a lot of deep shots down the field. But I hate to be this guy to rain on the fun story, but Arkansas is coming off of a win against a conference rival, Texas A&M, who they hadn't beaten in 10 years, going on the road to Athens, with a quarterback who was injured in the last game and came back in hurt after he got hurt. And that is just a lot of situational factors to consider before you even get to the talent disparity between these two rosters. And there is a talent disparity. Georgia has more talent, period. Georgia recruits in the top five of every recruiting class. Arkansas is somewhere in the 20s or 30s. And there's no knock in being in the 20s or 30s if you're Arkansas. That's pretty good for a smaller school in a state that doesn't have in-house a ton of in-state recruits to poach upon. But Georgia's goal here is the, isn't just to win the SEC East. It's it's to win, go to the college football playoff and win the first national title at that program in 40 years. This is a game Georgia in the past under Kirby Smart loses because he plays not to lose. He punts when he should go for it. He settles for a field goal when he should go for a touchdown. If Georgia is for real, they will pounce on every opportunity because this is going to be a tight game. The spread is a big number. I I, I was a little bit surprised to see it at 18.5 for Georgia. Then you remember the injured quarterback, Arkansas, on the road. This is a big play offense. Granted, they got to control the line of scrimmage. And that's going to be difficult because Georgia's got the great defense. Georgia always has strong defensive backs. So if this comes down to coverage versus receivers, I expect the Georgia c- coverage to hold up. They did it against Clemson. And I know everyone's going to say, well, Clemson can't score. Clemson stinks. Clemson's still got good athletes outside. I mean, that's not like they were playing UMass. No disrespect to UMass, who might be the worst team in all of college football. But Georgia's defense... We'll do which job. Can JT Daniels and that offense score enough? That's all you got to do. It's not going to take 50 points to win this game. 25? 24? Somewhere in the mid-20s probably wins this game if you're Georgia. Handle your business. Beat a team you're better than. It's been Georgia's Achilles heel with Kirby Smart as the head coach. They've had a couple stinkers against teams they were better than. Let bad teams hang around a little bit too long and they run up on you. We'll see. We shall see.
those are the big three games, the Alabama, Ole Miss, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and then Arkansas, Georgia. And I'm very excited to watch all three of those games. Weirdly, weirdly, the Arkansas-Georgia game is at noon on e- on ABC because the 3 o'clock game on CBS, the SEC game of the week, is Ole Miss at Alabama. And that's a great game to get your day started. Park yourself in front of the TV. Get rolling right after game day. Game day is in Athens for that game, so that's exciting. A little bit of juice there. Georgia's a good program. I, like I've been saying and I keep touting because I, ho- I think they are genuinely the best team, and I do want to sound smart because I've been admitting I've been getting things wrong a little bit too much recently. But, hey, when you're giving takes almost every day, you're going to get some wrong. It's about batting average in this industry. You're getting around 330, 350. You get close to 40% of your takes being right, 50% of your takes being right. It's pretty good. In the football world, I feel like that's pretty damn good considering some of the people I see on TV and some of the people in sports media who get away with what they get away with. Now, looking at other games on the board... The next one, in terms of just relevance, is probably Michigan-Wisconsin, because this is Wisconsin's season right here. If Wisconsin loses this game, they're toast. They're done. That's it. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. They're done. Iowa's going to win the Big Ten West. Period. That That's the end of the discussion. This is Wisconsin's season. Graham Mertz looked certifiably awful last week against Notre Dame. He threw two pick sixes in a game that was close, in a game that was 10-10 at halftime. His school lost by three touchdowns because he threw so many interceptions. That is not good, Graham Mertz. And this is the same Graham Mertz that everybody was filleting when he went 20 of 21 against Illinois last year. Terrific. That was last year against Illinois. Against real defenses where the other team actually plays defense, Penn State, Notre Dame, he has been bad. And What better way for Michigan to find out if it is for real or not? than getting to stomp out another opponent. If Michigan is actually for real, they will handle their business against a team they are better than. Michigan is better than Wisconsin. I feel confident in saying Michigan has more talent than Wisconsin. We've seen Jim Harbaugh's talented teams lose these games against teams they should beat. Granted, Michigan has had a hard time the last couple times they've played Wisconsin, and going to Camp Randall is no picnic. Wisconsin, even though they got smoked last week and lost to Penn State in Week 1, is still a one and a half point favorite against a Michigan team that is undefeated so far. Yes, Michigan beat three FC, two FCS teams and Rutgers. Okay, this is a winnable football game for Michigan. If Michigan really thinks it has a chance this year in the Big Ten East, it can't piss away this game. Because they still have dates with Ohio State, with Penn State, with Michigan State. And Michigan State looks decent with Mel Tucker in that defense. Also, I want to see Michigan try to play bully ball against a team that has comparable competition. And I, it's been funny. I've been reading a lot of the wor- stuff reporters on the Michigan beat have been writing about so far. And... Michigan has emphasized we want to be balanced. We want to have almost as many rushing yards as we do passing yards. And that's fine against FCS teams where your offensive linemen are just going to get to bully the team in front of them downhill. But when it's five linemen for five rushers, I Michigan's going to have a hard time trying to play bully ball against the defensive lines of Wisconsin, of Ohio State, of Penn State, of Michigan State. Because those guys are not at FCS. Those guys are at those schools. Because they are big and they are fast. Michigan has bullyballed their way through four games. And it's worked so far. This insistence on running the ball. 
will lose against good teams. And it is worth mentioning that they are very, they are still scared of Cade McNamara actually having to make any plays. And he's been a very competent game manager so far for them. But against Rutgers. So, let's see a Cade McNamara. I've, I've read a breakdown of X's and O's of the game against Rutgers that someone at The Athletic wrote. And one of the emphasis, points of emphasis in that article was that they run a lot of zone, they run a lot of run pass options, but McNamara never actually keeps the ball to run them. He either hands it off or throws immediately. He never extends the play with his legs and is a threat to run the ball. And against a defense like Wisconsin, Jimmy Leonard's going to do a good job of disguising what the defense is looking at. Excuse me, what the offense is looking at from the defense. And they're going to send pressure from the slot. Wisconsin is a big fan of sending the nickel corner on a blitz. I don't know how often Michigan will force Wisconsin to be in nickel, which is an interesting wrinkle because so far we've seen Wisconsin against Penn State, who was kind of in a lot of three-receiver sets, so you kind of had to match with nickel to have enough speed on the field. This is going to be a 22-personnel kind of game. There's going to be two backs and two tight ends, and if Graham Mertz stinks it up, I think Michigan can win this game by default. Two years ago when these teams played, Michigan stung up the joint and Jack Cohen handled his business. That Wisconsin team wasn't particularly good, but they handled their business. That Michigan team shot itself in the foot, a lot of fumbles, I believe in a pretty bad Shea Patterson interception. Yes, Shea Patterson, drink if I name a random Michigan quarterback, uh, John O'Korn, um, Milton Spates. So many guys over the years that Michigan has run out there that hadn't been the guy. Kate McNamara is still not that guy, but he's a fine game manager. Also on the docket, a game that I personally am very interested to see, Indiana going to Happy Valley to play Penn State. Penn State is a 12.5-point favorite. This is a revenge game for Penn State. Last year, Penn State season went off the rails week one when Michael Penix got that really generous spot on his touchdown run where the ball clearly touched the ground before it hit the pylon. But those officials were on drugs, so I just don't understand how a ball that hit the ground before it hit the pylon and the ground it was hitting was chalk could possibly have scored a touchdown. Still a little bit confused on that, but, but, but I digress. This is payback. Penn State has played two ranked teams so far, and both of those ranked teams, Wisconsin and looked suspect since their matchups with Penn State. Uh, Auburn had to go to their backup quarterback in their game against an FCS team last week to survive going down the stretch. They had to bench Bo Nix. And Auburn was moving the ball pretty efficiently on Penn State. Penn State invited them to run the ball. Indiana has not looked great this year. Michael Penix has not really been the same since his knee injury. Penn State's defense is for real. I don't know how good their offense actually is, but the defense is pretty good. I can say confidently the Jaquan Brisker effect is real coming over the top. They've got two good corners in Castro Fields and Joey Porter Jr. The defense is real. we got to see Sean Clifford put together these kind of good stat games against good teams consecutive weeks. We got to see him stick with what's working. They got to see them expand the playbook. They still cannot run the ball, which is an issue considering how many RPOs they run. You would think for a team that runs so many RPOs that running the ball would be a necessity, but so far they haven't needed to run the ball well. They did not run it well against Auburn. They did not run it well against Wisconsin. Against Villanova and Ball State, they were fine on the ground, but that's because Penn State is just going to be able to bully those smaller teams. Indiana 
not as good as they were last year or the year before, but this is a payback game for Penn State. And and it's important you don't look ahead to Iowa. Indiana is good enough that this game can be frustrating if you're Penn State, if you're looking ahead to Iowa, or if you get a little bit too emotional playing up the revenge factor. I, I don't doubt Penn State wins this game, but I do feel like 12.5 is kind of a lot for a Penn State team that didn't really score a ton of points against the Villanova team that had no business being on the same field as Penn State. I mean, the spread was 28 and a half, and it was never really close to Penn State covering. They had one opportunity, and then they just kind of packed it in in the late third quarter when they put the second-team offense in, and the second-team offense just didn't move the ball at all. So that I'm curious to see. I'd like to see Penn State get something going where they can keep having Sean Clifford be efficient through the passing game, getting those deep shots to Jahan Dotson, those after-the-catch plays to Parker Washington, and then the tight end, Brenton Strange, they've been incorporating nicely, and then the other tight end, the guy they've been using on the Wildcat in the red zone. Eventually, he's going to have to be able to throw the ball once out of that package just so the defense respects it, but until then... It'll be fine. I'm not particularly worried about this game. I do think Indiana is frisky enough that this can be a game. But as long as Penn State handles their business, I don't think this game this game shouldn't be that much of a scare. The other game I have written down here in my notes that it's not really that important in the landscape of college football as a whole. I do want to see how Auburn plays against LSU at LSU. LSU has kind of settled things down since their loss to UCLA in, I think that was week one. They're moving the ball okay. Max Johnson, their quarterback, has been all right. I was reading one uh, LSU blogger who does X's and O's, and he still says LSU can't block for shit, and Max Johnson does not process the field as fast as Joe Burrow, so if, if Auburn can get its pass rush going, they can win this football game. I mean, the spread is only three and a half for LSU and Auburn has not beaten LSU at LSU since 1999. That is a very long streak for teams that play at that stadium every other year. So we're going on quite a number of games without winning there. These are two teams I don't really know what to make of yet. And that's why I think this game is interesting because either of these teams, if they really get it going, they can give this Alabama team a game. I don't think either of them will. But if either of them can get it going here, build some confidence, and be in good shape for their matchups, maybe. Maybe you can get a game. Not particularly likely, but I think there's an outside possibility that if Auburn can get rolling or LSU gets rolling, at the very least they can give Alabama a game. And that's all I'm hoping for here. I just want games. I want things to matter in October or November. I don't want it to be like last year where we knew the three best teams where Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama. That's not fun. I want... Maybe Ole Miss can win the SEC West. Maybe LSU can get in there with a tiebreaker. Maybe Auburn get in there with a tiebreaker. Maybe Georgia wins the East and they're playing Ole Miss in Atlanta in December. That would be exciting. Maybe... Penn State or Michigan State or Michigan can unseat Ohio State as the reigning East Division champion in the Big Ten. I want to see Texas give Oklahoma a game in a couple weeks at the Texas State Fair, which which should be really exciting. Speaking of, Texas, they hung 70 on Texas Tech last week. 
Sark got the memo from his boosters that they needed to cover after losing to Arkansas. He didn't take the first-team offense out until late in the fourth quarter. Casey Robinson will lighten it up. They went for 70 points. 70 points is 10 touchdowns. That is insane. That is so many points against a non-FCS school. I want to see how Texas holds up against TCU. I don't think TCU is particularly good this year, rebuilding year. Their defense is always decent. They're not going to really be able to move the ball. Bijan Robinson, the running back at Texas, is one of the most exciting players in all of college football. I want to see him with the ball in his hands more. Anytime he gets the ball in space and he gets to make people miss or break tackles, it is exhilarating. They might finally have a quarterback. I, 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 I know I just said his name, Thompson, but... They might finally have a competent quarterback, which is more than I could say. Like, Sam Ellinger was fun to watch, but he was also way too chaotic to be a quarterback at a genuine college football playoff contender, which is a recurring theme you're going to get as I get deeper into the college football season, that at some point, the fun quarterbacks are also the ones that will lose you games. The ones who are willing to make tight window throws or try and break tackles in the backfield end up losing 25 yards on sacks, that kind of thing. Texas TCU is fun. Mississippi State A&M is fun from a chaotic standpoint because if A&M still can't score against Mississippi State, A&M is cooked. And A&M looked pretty bad against Arkansas. I know they're down to a backup quarterback. They run an extremely complicated offense. And if you're not getting first-team reps all the time, you're going to have a hard time picking it up. Jimbo won a national title with this offense with Jameis running it. I think if you give a quarterback time, they can do this, but this is a hard offense to learn. And... A&M, A&M probably blew their shot. A&M last year was probably Jimbo's best crack at making the playoff for a while. They're going to have to recycle through, get another batch of guys in there, some new offensive linemen. They're going to have to replace Isaiah Spiller, who's going to go to the NFL this year probably. Their defense is pretty good. That, I can say authoritatively. It'll be a fun chess match to see if their pass rush can beat old Mississippi State's pass pro. You know Mississippi State in the air raid. can be a lot of short passes. A lot of occasional shots. The board is entertaining. There are games that should be entertaining if you are just flicking through the channels. That is what I define a good college football Saturday slate. Not necessarily the gambling board, although typically if the gambling board is good, that also means the TV slate is good. But genuinely, there are three outstanding games this weekend. The three games I led the show off with, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Old Miss, Alabama, and then Georgia, Arkansas. Those are all genuinely awesome football games. Now, before I get you out of here, we're going to do NFL tomorrow. I'll have picks. We'll keep the tally going. Had another split week. Couple wins, couple losses. I was wrong on New England. New England might just stink. I, I, I was pretty high on the Patriots coming into the season. We'll talk about it tomorrow against their impending matchup with Thomas Edward Brady, who might just smoke them coming off of that loss against the Rams. Lots and lots of football talk coming. We'll get hockey going soon because the NHL season is unfortunately going to be upon us soon. And the Rangers are already, already having their stooges in the media fluffing up Sammy Blay and Ryan Reeves and Barkley Goudreau, even though they stink. So I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I hope Ole Miss wins, man. I want Lane. I want Lane and Ole Miss ranked in the top five. That's what this year of college football deserves. I'll see you guys Friday.